With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. A Little Wicked is a partner with Dark Cast Network. This podcast discusses true crime, which may entail violence and other material intended for a mature audience. Listener discretion is advised. Dark Cast Network. The light shines brightest on our indie podcasts. It's Kayla. And it's Lexi. And welcome back with A Little Wicked. I just want to give a small shout out to all of our new listeners because our numbers have really bumped up this last like week or so of downloads per episode so welcome yeah welcome to the shit show didn't we i we, hope you enjoy we jumped up from like 10 percent uh like top 10 percent of podcasts or something like that to like top five in a month that's incredible yeah on list so listen notes.com um for those of you who don't know Every single podcast on the interwebs is there, and it ranks like how many listeners and stuff and what percentage you are in the world. A Little Wicked has been top 10% since August, and as of this month, because of you lovely people, we are in the top 5%. So, so claps for, for you guys. That's so And fun. it is very much appreciated. It's, it's exciting. I'm like pumped about it. I know. And like... More and more people in my life, like friends and family and coworkers are coming to me and they're like, I started listening to your podcast. And like, I love it every time. I love it. Know that I appreciate it and I get emotional every time one of you says that you listen to the podcast. But yeah, so every time you guys recommend us or do listen to even just one episode or leave a review, it, that's how it helps us. Not only does it like, you know, let us know you're actually there and existing, but it bumps our show up in global rankings, which is just like a huge personal accomplishment that we're so happy about. <laughs> yeah, and we've we've got listeners from almost every content continent when I checked the stats. I was so I was so shocked. Like I have one international friend of mine that I know is listening from um a different country and but I was so surprised to see that there was like I think like 14 or 15 different countries that had at least one listener. I was like I was I was blown away. I thought that was so cool. Yeah, that's even more exciting is that we're across the waters, as one would say. Across the pond. I think that's what they call it in the UK. Across the water. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so what I have for you guys today is going to give you guys paranoia every time you get sick. So I'm very sorry. Oh, great. I need more of that. Sorry at the same time. So today, my story is on Jolly Jane Toppin. So Jane Toppin was born Honora or Nora Kelly. So I've seen both Honora and Nora, but I think Nora is just short for Honora, which makes sense. Mm -hmm. Um, She was born in Boston, Massachusetts in 1857 to Irish immigrant parents Peter and Bridget Kelly. Honora was the youngest of three, possibly four daughters. I only saw names for two other girls, well, two other siblings, and a lot of articles said she either had three or four. But again, being the 1800s, there were there wasn't much record keeping. Like even for her birth year, um, a lot of the articles I saw said 1857, but some said 1854. So it's kind of one of those like. We're just going to pick a number and stick with it. <laughs> they just let anybody keep <laughs> records like back in the day. <laughs> it was just some guy in the village named like Stephen and that was his job and, and he wasn't very good at like, it. Hey, but... Stephen, I had a daughter. 
And he it's was right like, in the book. <laughs> he was like, what year is son? it? Is that what you said? <laughs> I actually have. No, I, I knew I met somebody not too long ago in one of my discord group chats who um, jokes about that. Apparently her birth certificate, she was mistakenly listed as male for like a couple of years before her parents noticed and that they had to be like, no, we had we had a daughter. We had to change that. <laughs> Honora's older sisters were named Nellie and Delia. Unfortunately, her mother died a year or so after Honora was born from tuberculosis. So this left their father to raise them. Peter was an alcoholic who worked as a tailor and had gained the nickname Kelly the Crack for his erratic crackpot-like behavior. Crackpot-like, that guy's crackpot. He's crazy. And he was known to basically, you know... What a re- what a reputation, you know. Mom's not. In the, this is this is almost like very Disney movie, you know. Like they lose the good parent, and now like the evil parent yeah. is left to raise them. Kelly the crack, the <laughs> evil parent, becomes the Disney villain. So <laughs> he was known to have angry outbursts, and he was assumed to have some type of mental illness that just was not addressed. It is unknown for sure if he abused the children in any way. In 1863, when Honora was six and her older sister Delia was eight, Peter took them to um, a charity house called the Boston Female Asylum. This was an orphanage for young girls to stay in until they turned 10. And after that, they would be fostered and adopted out to families. I don't know why 10. I feel like 10 is very, very young because after 10, they're still like booted out of the building. Yeah, that's kind of, I mean, like what do they do? Do they send them on a Pokemon quest? You know, like that's the age you are when you go on a Pokemon quest at 10. They're like, oh, you're 10. Here's an electric rat. Go have fun. You know, except unfortunately. Here's your backpack and a cliff bar. Don't get killed. Right. <laughs> except back then they didn't even have that. They're like, here's a handful of peanuts and like some shoes. Good luck. Take this for your travels. It's like a walnut. <laughs> it's tuberculosis. Peter approached the board with these two girls and he begged them to take them away from him. The girls appeared, like, dirty and shabby, not really taken care of, and they had the appearance of being abused, if not neglected, and this just won them the unanimous vote to be let into the asylum. The board was like, oh, yeah, like, your girls aren't taken care of, like, they can come stay with us. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. The oldest child, however, Nellie, was too old for the asylum, and not much is known about her other than she had suffered a mental break in her 20s and was institutionalized for it. And that was from one of the cousins that, I don't know like what side, but one of the articles um, said that a cousin had known that she had a, it was described as like a violent break. So I'm not sure I didn't delve too far into that one. These poor girls, they've been through like so much already. Yeah. Peter was said to have suffered a breakdown as well when he was found at work trying to sew his own eyelids shut. And that also won him a trip to, you know, the institution. Uh, hello? I Sewing his own eyelids shut. That is... He's like, I've seen enough. That is horrifying. That is absolutely horrifying. That was a very bad joke. Oh my god, I missed it too! Oh no. <laughs> I was like so focused That's... on just like the sheer terror of like walking in on somebody and they're just like sewing their eyelids shut. Like... I didn't even it's I like didn't even catch Coraline the remastered. Yeah. Oh. Oh my goodness. So the girls stayed there for about two years. Delia was turned out when she became of age, but was not able to find a family to adopt her. Not much is known about what happened to her, but many suspect that she turned to prostitution and alcoholism to survive. Which I don't know if they officially declared ten as like way too old and booted her out, and then that's when she turned to prostitution, or if she was older. Um, her story kind of ends at the Boston Asylum. That's really tragic. I mean, just assuming. I'm hoping, honestly, I'm hoping that that guess is wrong, and she actually figured out like a good life for herself. But that's just that's a really sad place to leave off. Honora was said to be keen to please and love doing things for affection. She had been released at eight years old and was fostered to a woman named Mrs. Ann C. Toppin in Lowell, Massachusetts. She had become their indentured servant, which just means she was kind of contracted to work with them for a certain amount of time. So this meant that Honora was in charge of cleaning, setting beds, and preparing all the meals. At eight years old, a grown-ass adult fostered a child as a servant. I was going to say, I'm like, oh, cool. She got adopted. And then you were like, and she was an indentured servant. I was like, and there it is. Oh. 
It's not happy. It's not. This isn't a good Disney movie. This is like one of the really old, sad ones from the 40s. I mean, I don't think good's going to happen. I don't know what I expect. It's not, you know, it's not like any of these podcasts are ever going to start out with like, you know, they had a, a normal loving upbringing. It's always it's always this. Oh, they were sold to she slavery at servant. age eight. Yeah. So let's go into Mrs. Ann Toppin. Let's remember that Honora is Irish. During a time when it is not okay to be Irish in America. So Anne Toppin hated the Irish. Like I said, so during this time in America, there was a strong opposition and prejudice towards Irish immigrants. So it's not fully known how Anne treated Honora. It's just known that like it wasn't treat. She wasn't treated well. She was um, humiliated and made to feel less than while living in the Toppin's house. So much that Anne made Honora change her name to Jane because it sounded less Gaelic. That's really sad. Like, she adopts this eight-year-old girl. She hates her because she's Irish. I mean, we're assuming, you know, she hates the Irish. So we're assuming she hates this girl because she's yeah, Irish. She, she did not like her. She doesn't adopt her as a kid. She adopts her as, like, basically this, you know, house slave and then changes her name because she hates the fact that she's Irish. Like, that's that's so upsetting. She told everyone she knew that Honora slash Jean was, in fact, Italian, not Irish, and that her parents had died at sea. So this only worked because, um, I'm just going to call her Jean from this point on, because that's how she is the rest of the story. Jean was considered a, it was called like a black Irish, whereas like she had black hair, darker complexion, like she didn't have like the pale skin, the red hair, freckles, like the whole shebang you would imagine like someone who's fully Irish to look. Okay. Like, yeah. Okay. Okay. Because I was picturing, I know when you said like Irish indentured servant, first thing that came to my mind was like, Annie. Okay. Yeah. So, and I was really wondering, I'm like, how on earth did she pass her off as Italian? But that actually, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, she had a darker complexion. So growing up in the Toppin household, she understood her place in the family. She understood that she was not a daughter. She was a worker. And for a little girl who all she she didn't know, she didn't really have a childhood. She wasn't really treated as somebody's like loved daughter. And that's all she wanted to be. She did not have that in this household. Anne had had a daughter around Jane's age. Her name was Elizabeth. Elizabeth did not treat Jane less than or poorly like her mother did. She actually considered her as like her sister and her closest friend. Oh, She's like, really hey, sweet. my mom like adopted this, like adopted my best friend. But Aww. Jane did not feel the same way. Hey, this is your co-host Lexi, and I'm interrupting the spooky stories real quick to talk to you about one of our businesses that we're partnering with, Cedar Design Co., Cedar Design Co. is a one-woman small business that makes jewelry at Cedar Studios Jewelry and does photography prints inspired by beautiful nature around us at Cedar Studios Photography. Her designs are inspired by nature and her Mexican, Navajo, and Irish heritage. Some of her jewelry even uses beautiful natural plants and flowers and natural gemstones as well. Personally, I've been dying to get my hands on one of her mushroom-inspired gemstone pieces, but they're so gorgeous that they sell out so quickly. She also has a wonderful selection of pieces around holidays such as St. Patrick's Day, Valentine's Day, Halloween, and more. And her stunning photographic prints really help bring the everyday beauty of the nature around us into your home. And the best part, if you use the code WICKED, W-I-C-K-E-D, you'll get 10% off your order. So go ahead and check her out today on Etsy at Cedar Design Co., spelled S-E-A-D-E-R-D-E-S-I-G-N-C-O. She's also on Instagram at Cedar Studios and Cedar Studios Jewelry. And again, don't forget to use code WICKED at checkout to get 10% off. Jane resented Elizabeth because she was jealous for how she was treated. She wanted to be Elizabeth, wanted to be treated like Elizabeth. Unfortunately, that that makes sense. Yeah. Jane had started school while living with the Toppins. She did somewhat fine in school with making friends, but she did have some concerning behaviors. Mainly, she was telling lies, such as her father sailed the world, her sister married an English noble, her brother was decorated at Gettysburg by Lincoln, like just crazy stuff like that. But I'm not really surprised about this considering she grew up without a family and she and the Topins wanted her to change her background. So she was like, oh, I'm like 10. I'm going to change my background to whatever I want. Right? Yeah. Makes makes sense. It's like, a, you know, a coping mechanism. She was also a tattletale. 
she would tattle on kids for things that she did so that they would get in trouble instead. So I don't know if that would be really tattletaling and more so just being a shithead. I feel like I feel like that probably falls under the, the lying. She would also spread gossip and lies about really anyone. So she didn't like really make a lot of friends. She wasn't really that kid on the playground that other kids wouldn't play with. As she got more into her teens, she started to become more jealous of Elizabeth and that she knew that like Elizabeth was going to get married off one day. In order to like kind of make up for this, Jane developed a bigger personality to try and fit in with groups around her. So she started to spew like anti-Irish and anti-Catholic sentiments um, to try and fit in with like the Protestants around her. She just wanted to stand out and be like just as interesting as everyone else around her. Hopefully, I guess, trying to find somebody that would want to marry her. Okay. But I think she was, yeah, she was just kind of really focused on Elizabeth is going to marry somebody. I want to be like Elizabeth. I hate Elizabeth. So I'm going to act this way to try and outdo her. It's, um, it's almost like, it's like an overcompensation, you know, and like, this is, I I feel like we've all known somebody who's kind of like that, where they are of some sort of, you know, minority identity and they act very aggressively towards that part of their identity as almost like a compensation for the fact that they're like that they're upset that that's a part of themselves and maybe they think if they hate it enough they can like make up for it in a way it's it's never like fun to see happen it's always just very sad and very upsetting so jane turned 18 and graduated lowell high school which meant that she was free from her indenture and she was given $50 for her service through the years. $50 is equal to $1,378 today. She got one whole stimulus check for like over a decade of indentured servitude. So, but instead of moving on, she chose to stay on as a servant and live with a family for the next 10 years actually earning a paycheck instead of just kind of living there doing whatever okay if she was actually getting a paycheck that that makes sense why she would kind of keep doing what she knew plus you know she's lived there her whole life basically so might as well during the mid mid to late 1870s Anne had died leaving elizabeth to take the house and even as adults elizabeth was still very kind to jane thinking that again they were sisters and best friends but jane had still despised elizabeth for just existing and tensions had gotten higher when Elizabeth had gotten married to church deacon Oramel Brigham, who moved into the house with them. That that is not that is not a real name. That is a popcorn company. <laughs> like Oramel Brigham. <laughs> Jane would unintentionally flirt with Oramel in front of Elizabeth. The article I read said like she didn't really understand what flirting was. I guess other people did, and they were like, "Man, she's really flirting with Oramel over there." But she really wants an Ormel. Um. <laughs> I just, I can't. Ormel? I've never heard that name before. It's just funny. You said she really wanted Ormel. Like, that sounds like a fancy dessert. Like, mm, man, maybe me too. Like Ovaltine. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know why you thought of Ovaltine when I said fancy dessert. But like, I can't wait. I'm picking up what you're putting down nonetheless. Man, I want Ovaltine now too. That was his brother. His brother was Ovaltine. Ovaltine and Ormel. <laughs> I'm going to feel really bad if this guy ends up like dying later on this podcast. Like we really just spent five minutes just like shit talking his name. And then you're like, and then he was murdered and eaten. And I'm going to feel terrible. Ormel is safe. Okay. We'll just say that Ormel is safe. Good. Good. So when Jane was about 28, 29 years old, she moved out over a dispute, which is unknown over what. I'm going to safely assume it's because she wanted Elizabeth's Ormel. (laughs) That's just <laughs> that's just what I'm going to safely assume. Probably that that sounds like I mean, if her if her having this hatred for Elizabeth over the years didn't affect anything, the only change was the husband. So that's yeah, that's my guess too. Yeah, she was living there for over 20 years, and whenever she moved out, Elizabeth was like, "You could still come visit whenever." Like she still wanted her to like be around. Just don't live in my house. Understandable. I mean, understandable. I probably wouldn't want a roommate that was flirting with my husband that would be just kind of awkward you know he's taken right it would just be uncomfortable like you'd just be sitting here like right in front of my salad (laughs) all right so after getting the stinky boot um she had to figure out what to do for work she decided to try her hand at nursing so the next year in 1887 she applied and was accepted to the nursing program at cambridge hospital and that's where she also started her training at 
So Cambridge. While working at Cambridge Hospital, Jane had developed a boisterous and happy personality that she reserved for her patients, earning her the nickname Jolly Jane. Her patients loved her, and she became a doctor favorite for it. However, she was heavily detested by her nurse colleagues. One of the reasons is she was always suspected of stealing from them. Like, they could never prove that she was taking things, but from what I've read, it was kind of like, oh, I had a $20 on the counter, and now it's gone, and she was the last person in there. Like, that's, like, they they couldn't prove it, but one plus one is two. Yeah. Yeah, they didn't have CCTV cameras back then to you know, check the footage. Jane was also known to gossip and stir the pot with other students just when she felt like it. And she celebrated when other students were dismissed from the program. Two of the students that were dismissed were her own roommates that she had removed from the program after lying about them. She told administration that they'd been drinking and partying during school, which I guess was a no-no back in, you know, the 1880s, which is fair. I guess. But she told administration that they were doing that, so they were escorted out from the program. I don't know if she saw everybody as competition or what her issue was and what everybody dismissed from the program. I feel like we've all unfortunately met that nurse. Maybe not this one specifically, but you know, we all we all know we all know somebody who who is in the field who's, you know, just just a smidge toxic. <laughs> I'm not even like, I'm not even like subbing anybody. I'm not even like naming any names. Just like I've encountered enough of them over the years in working in veterinary medicine that like it's a category. It's a category of people. Like when that one person from high school you see post on Facebook, they're going to nursing school and you're like, I, right. You're like going to that hospital. You're like, (laughs) you were a bully. (laughs) You were a bully who plagiarized all your homework. And now you're responsible for people's lives. I'm afraid. I think you just want to be a nurse to stab people legally. Sometimes I wonder if that's the case. If people are like, because so many people, they're like, I hate people. I better become a nurse. It's like, do you do it to stab them? So not only did she stir the pot and gossip and, you know, want people booted out of the program, but she still was telling lies such as the Tsar of Russia was offering her a nursing job. Which is why she's in school. Like, okay. Okay. Don't think that's a thing. So all of this together just kind of strikes me as somebody that didn't seem like a great student to work with. This plus colleagues had also heard her say things such as, quote, there's no use to keep old people alive, end quote. Um, uh. So there's red flag number one. Well, okay, not number one, but... The hospital administration had also grown concerned about how much Jane loved performing autopsies, but they didn't really do anything about it, because, I mean, like, what could you do? Like, maybe they, I don't know. Maybe they assumed she was just going to, like, go into pathology, you know, because that's... Some people do that. Some people was get that into... The thing? I don't think that was a thing back then. Was it not? Especially no? for women. Oh, no. Yeah, you're right. I keep forgetting about the time period. Like, I don't know if, like, pathology assistant was, like a thing like somebody had to it somebody had to assist the doctor in doing autopsies but it was probably just like you know his cousin or something like his 16 year old cousin that just held the instruments and wrote things down outside of work she was known to drink heavily spread gossip again she's just like a chatty kathy and she would cause issues purposefully between her friends to stir the pot like i just imagine like this woman like sitting at a bar going hey um katie Stephanie slept with your husband, and then she would, like, leave the room. <laughs> I'm and definitely... That's, I'm, that's how I imagine. I'm getting that vibe from her. Like, she would just wake up and be like, today I will cause problems on purpose. And I will make it everybody else's problem. Exactly. Thank you. She would do that outside of work, and at work, she would present herself as professional and cheerful to doctors and patients in order to just kind of be trusted, I guess. So outside of the classroom, she was really taken with pharmacology. As a student, she has started experimenting with morphine and atropine, usually on older patients. She liked to see how the drugs affected people and used it to her advantage. So she would just kind of mix these two, like, different dosages to make her patients convulse or go comatose, just so she could miraculously revive them. Oh, boy. She would just have them fade in and out of consciousness just to kind of like play god just to, i guess just to get her jollies that's really um mm-hmm. that is upsetting quite literally because this does cause sexual arousal with her there it is 
I like well, there it is. I just you know every serial killer you know not not always not always with women almost always with you know the the men for some reason but there's certainly exceptions there's always exceptions to the rule but like yeah anytime we're talking about a serial killer and you're like and they got sexual arousal out of torturing or killing people you're like yep there it is so she would especially do this if she liked the patient if she liked them and she wanted them to stay around she would alter their charts to keep them with her longer and she would intentionally make them sick until she revived them just so that she could keep talking to them and keep them in her life does this count as Munchausen by proxy? I guess maybe not Munchausen. That's what I was thinking yeah. the whole time I was researching this. She, it was, it, it reminded me of something of just Munchausen by proxy because she did this with a lot of people. She's like, well, I need you to rely on me to make me feel good about myself. Because remember, she, as a child, wanted to um, appease everybody, wanted to um, get praise and she didn't have that growing up. So now she's like, well, if I make you sick, you're going to love me. I wonder if she had like, like a codependency disorder, but just manifesting in like a atypical way. They didn't all recover though. She did have patients die under her, but no suspicion ever really fell on her. Probably because like she was a nurse, like not a nurse. She was a student or um, if they were older, they probably didn't think much of it. She especially loved working the night shift as there were no lingering eyes to watch her as she messed with drugs and her patients. Like if somebody caught her like at the drug cabinet, like fucking around with morphine and atropine, she would just make up a lie on the spot as to what she was doing and why she needed it. So one of her patients, Amelia Finney, had an operation and was placed under the care of Jane. Jane had come in and given her a dose of bitter-tasting medication. This medication caused Amelia to fade in and out of consciousness. And during her fading in and out, she saw Jane crawling into her bed, kissing her face, and telling her it would be over soon. Nope. And then Don't like that. something startled Jane, so she left. Amelia woke up thinking like it was just like a fever dream, because she was like technically high. But it wouldn't be until years later that she realized that it actually happened. Yikes. That's really scary. Because, like, imagine, like, even if it was a dream or, like, just asking somebody, hey, by the way, like, while I was semi-asleep, were you, like, caressing my face and telling me it was going to be over soon? (laughs) Right. Right. I mean, I've definitely had weird dreams where, like, I've, I've, like, texted or messaged somebody and be like, wait, did this actually happen or did I dream that? But... Nothing quite like that. Nothing of that scale. All of that had happened in only the span of like a year in 1887. In 1888, the doctors that she worked under gave her shining recommendations to expand her training and they sent her to Massachusetts General Hospital. She left Cambridge Hospital, leaving over a dozen patients that had died in her care. Which I don't understand how you have that many patients die under your care. And you still get shining recommendations. I wonder. And you're still being found like at the drug box. I wonder if maybe they like, did she work specifically in maybe like geriatrics or something? Because if you work with a bunch of like, I don't know, very old and very like medically fragile people, deaths are going to be a very common part of the job, you know, more so than other types of medicine. But yeah, I I keep forgetting about the year too, like how different it was. Yeah, like record keeping and, you know, OSHA and documentation, you know, things like that, toxicology. It just, it was not a thing. Omnicells. We do very, very intense things to prevent stuff like this nowadays. We have lots and lots of checks and balances in place now so that people can't just, you know, go to the closet, get some morphine, make a little potion with it, and give it to their patients. Jane had started working at Massachusetts General in 1889. Early on, she she somehow managed to become the temporary representative head nurse when the real head nurse went on leave. That just kind of like blows my mind. Like, hey, this is a new person. They're going to be in charge of you. And they're still a student. That's um, that's a little bit of a wacky like seniority ladder. This did not make her colleagues like or respect her more. She already had a bad reputation with them. She was known to take their credit for their accomplishments, along with being suspected with missing cash and a patient's missing diamond ring. So again, she was still stealing shit and taking people's credit for things that they had done. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. 
This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. So she's just not a good person. No, this she is very toxic. I mean, even aside from all of the murders and everything, she is just still a very toxic person. Yeah, she's just not a good coworker, not a good person. Just kind of seems like somebody I want to like hip check into traffic. <sighs> Anywho. <laughs> I mean, yeah, especially considering that she also has, you know, a, what I'm going to assume is, is at this point a relatively, I mean, her body count's already, what, 12? That's a lot. And she's at not least. even a nurse yet. She's still yeah. a student. I mean, that's nope. scary. Yep. That's really scary. Quite a few times her coworkers caught her being careless with drugs and giving too much to any patient, along with also being caught tampering with patient charts. So all the stuff she was doing at Cambridge, she brought over to Massachusetts General. She was like, oh, I'm just going to keep doing what I want because, you know, nobody was paying attention to me there. So here I'm going to make my patients sicker so they like me when I save their lives. If she saves their lives. These behaviors were seen more as like her being incompetent instead of like, oh, she's just a bad person who wants to kill people. They were like, oh, she's just stupid. It's fine. We'll just keep a closer eye on her because she's stupid. And with her being like a student, I'm I'm sure that was probably easier for them to kind of you know, brush it off, make that excuse. It's very different if you see somebody with like seven years experience doing stuff like that versus a student, you're like, oh God, they they mixed up the atropine and the apomorphine again or something like that. What a horrible combination that would be. Apo and atropine? Yeah, that sounds like it would suck ass. You're, you're going to vomit and your heart will stop. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, God, good thing this woman is no longer with us or like we'd be giving her ideas. Oh, that's... I, they were both A's, so that's why they popped into my head. But then I sat and thought about that. I'm like, wow, what a horrible combination that would be. Azithromycin and atropine. Do those have drug interactions? I don't think I've ever given azithromycin like with with a drug like that. But I know antibiotics can be I don't a little know. silly willy with some other things. I have no idea. <laughs> we we took the tests. We passed. We're fine. We don't have to. We don't have to think about. I don't have like those that. letters behind my name. <laughs> I am CVT, not DVM. I don't exactly, know exactly. Exactly. <laughs> I just play with puppies all day. <laughs> yeah. Hashtag. I just work here. More patients were passing under her care. The final straw with this hospital was the summer of 1890 when she left the ward that she was stationed in without permission. This was the last, the last straw. That was like, what did it? You broke the rules. That, that was what did it. This led to her dismissal, and this kept her from getting her nursing license after she had already passed her finals and received her diploma. Why do I have a feeling that this isn't going to stop her? It's not going to stop her. Oh, boy. Because after her dismissal, doctors still recommended her to wealthy clients as a private nurse. They were like, yeah, you were like a shitbag, but... Go take care of these people because you were a good nurse, shitbag. This story just keeps getting better and better. She did this for a couple months until she returned to Cambridge to work for them because she wasn't fired from them. She was kind of like promoted, like go to this one and train more. But she didn't really last long there either as she was fired in the following spring for patients dying under her and her being careless with medications. Like she was just not really caring who saw her be careless and they were like, oh, wow, you like you keep like killing people, I guess, like because you don't know how to do drug math. And they just kept putting it like chalking it up to carelessness instead of her like being bad. <laughs> they just kept saying like she's stupid, I guess. And this once again kept her from getting her license. She never got her nursing license. And I don't understand how she, I don't know, the 1800s were wild, I guess. The 1800s wild. was truly just, just a... Just the wild, wild west, wasn't it? This is. It was a fever dream. You could just do anything. You could just they just they just let people do whatever. Apparently. So being fired two times from two different hospitals did not stop Jane. Nothing will hold Jane back because she went back to becoming a private nurse for the next eight years. During these eight years, she would take care of elderly patients that were recommended to her by their doctors. So, like, let's say. 
grandma, grandma Jenny was like sick and her doctor would be like, you know who you need? You need Jane. She got fired and doesn't have a nursing license, but God damn, is she a good private nurse? And they would be like, okay. And then they would hire her. And that's a tale as old as time, if I've ever heard one. <laughs> she, <laughs> doing this, had become one of the most successful private nurses. She was earning $25 a week compared to the average $5 a week that nurses made. Oh, wow. Wow. Yeah, I don't understand. I don't understand. Uh, I got nothing. This is just like, this is, every every twist and turn in this story is just more wild than the next one. I mean, she is leaving a trail of, of death in her wake. She can't get her license. She's so many hospitals and people have fired her for messing with drugs and patient deaths and she's just and doctors raking are still in the bag. Her. Yeah, and they're still recommending her and people are still hiring her and this is just like... They're like, a lot of articles were like, well, the doctors thought she was the best nurse that they've ever seen. Okay, then why doesn't she have her license? Why does she keep getting fired for killing people? Right? I, if this Why is, a is lesson, she playing with morphine? This is a lesson to any of our listeners. If you don't think you're qualified, just apply for that job. Because somebody do it. because somebody worse at it is is doing the same thing. As Shia LaBeouf said in 2012. Do it! Do it. I dressed up as him for do Halloween it. one year. I think, I think 2012 I dressed up as him for Halloween. <laughs> Jane treated her patients the same as she did in the hospital. She would overdose them on morphine and atropine, which I don't know how she had... I don't know how she... Okay, maybe controlled drugs weren't, like, actually controlled back then. I don't know. But, I mean, probably not, because you get ether and stuff back then. Oh, yeah. I'm pretty sure that, like, cold medicine from the 1800s was just, like, cocaine and morphine. And you could just, like, buy that at the local apothecary. And they were like, yeah, this is... Yeah, okay. Two cents for a gallon bottle of (laughs) morphine and whatever else. So she would have those and would, quote, miraculously save their lives, or she would let them die so she can get her her sexual pleasure from it. Oh, I forgot about that. Mm, That was not pleasant to be reminded of. So Jane was a different type of female serial killer. Usually female serial killers kill to either gain something or get rid of an abuser or it's like a crime of passion whenever they're like, whenever they use um, poison to kill somebody. Jane found excitement and a sexual thrill as she watched her patients convulse and fade into comas. This made her kind of like an outlier when it came to female serial killers who used poisoning. She was known to crawl into their beds and caress them, sometimes kissing them as they were going comatose or dying. Which, you're welcome now for those irrational fears every time you go to MedExpress. I don't have words. I'm just viscerally uncomfortable. If Jane wasn't outwardly trying to kill them, she was keeping those around her sick by giving the low doses of morphine and atropine or even strike nine. She would use strike nine in order to give them lesser symptoms and heal them in order for them to keep her around and pay her. Strike nine. Yes. Strike nine. Is that? I've heard it pronounced strike nine. Yeah, that is... Strict nine, yeah, strict nine. I'm just illiterate. Isn't strict that nine. isn't that a a pet like a like a discontinued pesticide? Yeah, like, because it's like has a it's very very potent when it comes to poisoning. It does not take a lot to kill somebody. Yeah, cool. Because I remember that being a big deal in um, used in culling of coyotes, and they had to stop using it because it was so potent that if it would kill the coyotes, then the scavengers that would get to the coyotes would also be poisoned. And like if it leached into any of the water supplies or crops or anything, it was a huge deal. So I, oh my gosh, this woman was a walking chemical OSHA hazard villain. Yeah, I feel like smelling this woman would land you in the hospital. Let's go up to 1895. She had moved in with her landlord, Israel Dunham, who was a 77-year-old man, and his wife, Lovey. Which, by the way, I love the name Lovey. That's so sweet. She's so cute. She had started poisoning Israel, eventually killing him because he was, quote, feeble and fussy of an old man. And we all know how she felt about older people. Not a fan. She was not a fan of old people. Is there a term of, like, racism but against old people? Because, like, I feel like that was Ageism. Ageism. Cool. She was, yeah. She was ageist. So she stayed in the house to take care of Lovey. But we all know what happened. She eventually poisoned Lovey in the fall of 1897. 1899. Jane had a cottage that she rented for years in Buzzards Bay, Massachusetts. The cottage was owned by the Davis family. 
In August of 1899, Elizabeth had been complaining to Jane about depression, so Jane invited her down to the cottage for a few days to give her a little vacation. While on a walk, the two had a picnic of cold corned beef, taffy, and mineral water. But the mineral water had been spiked with strychnine. Does that have a flavor? Mm -mm. Strychnine is an odorless, tasteless powder, and it only requires a small amount to be considered poisonous. So you can't tell if it's in food, if it's in water, nothing. As she was sick, Jane had sent a telegram to Oramel telling her that she was ill and that they were not sure how much longer she had. Unfortunately, Oramel had come too late as she had passed by the time he got there. After that, Jane had told Oramel that it was Elizabeth's dying wish that Jane have her gold watch and chain. And Oramel gave them to her thinking that it was something that Elizabeth would want because Elizabeth still considered Jane like her sister and her friend. Unfortunately, years later, he would learn that she had pawned it off for money. Of her death, Jane would later say that Elizabeth was her first kill that she truly hated. Everybody else was just kind of like convenience or pleasure, but Elizabeth was somebody that she actually targeted out of hate. And she would also say of Elizabeth's death, quote, I held her in my arms and watched with delight as she gasped her life out, end quote. <sighs> Prior to this, Jane had intimately stayed with Elizabeth, never giving Elizabeth any reason to not trust her, let alone thinking that she actually hated her. That sucks. In December of that year, Jane had been looking after a woman named Mary McClear. She was 70 years old and had fallen ill and her doctor recommended she have Jane be her private nurse. Jane had stolen some of her clothing and Mary had ended up dead. So, so far in the story, Jane is just kind of like floating around to whoever is recommended to go take care of. And instead of actually taking care of them, she's dosing them with a cocktail of morphine and atropine until they die or miraculously heal. And she may be stealing from them as well. And once again, I'm not sure how she's doing this without a license. She is just blasting through life at this point. Like, I'm just, I'm, I'm so stunned. I'm so stunned that we're like, we're not even close to the end of like her reign of terror. 1900, when Jane was 43 years old, she went to see her friend, Myra Connors, who had been working as a dining hall matron at St. John's Theological School in Cambridge, which is convenient since Jane was looking for a job as well. So being a private nurse, she only got paid whenever she was needed, and she saw that Myra had a steady pay, had like a nice job. So of course, Jane did the totally sane thing, quote unquote, and on February 11th, poisoned her friend with strike nine. The sane thing. It was her friend. Ugh, that's awful. She poisoned her own friend. That's terrible. At the funeral... Jane approached Myra's boss and started talking to him and asked him, hey, did you know that um, Myra was going to go on a sabbatical and she was going to recommend me for her job? Did she tell you that? And she explained that Myra had already gone over and explained what the job entailed, what the duties were, what was expected of her. And the dean was like, okay, and gave her the job. Just no ifs, ands, or buts. He was like, this is totally an appropriate conversation to have at this woman's funeral. Sure. Every time, job. every time that, like, y you hear about these really, really prolific serial killers, you think like, oh my gosh, like they must have been a genius. They must have been like so good at hiding it. They must have like, it's just, it's not even the case. It's, it's usually that they were just like doing this stuff out in the open and everybody just kind of went, huh, that's weird. And then like just ignored it. It did not take long for her coworker to question her and how she was there as she was just terrible at the job, like there was constantly complaints about her, how she was incompetent. And again, money was always missing. During the summer months, the theological school was dismissed. So she was, so she worked at the mess hall at, of the biological school in Woods Hole. She was only there again for like this year um, because she had so many complaints against her. She ended up being fired that November. So she was only there for like a hot minute. And they were like, oh, you're incompetent. Goodbye. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. 
she doesn't really stay at jobs long. The only one she stayed at long was the private nursing. And that was, she didn't have anybody watching over her to see her performance. 1901. She had once again moved on to becoming someone's private nurse. She moved in with her landlord, Melvin Beadle, and his wife, Eliza. She had begun small dosing them with poison, just enough to keep them with, with gastrointestinal upset and needing her around. She then had an idea. Instead of slowly poisoning them, she could be their housekeeper. But they already had a housekeeper, Mary Sullivan. Jane made her sick enough to appear drunk to use as an advantage in order to get her fired and take her position from her, and it worked. So we're going to go back to that cottage that she rented from the Davis family. She owed them $500, to which Maddie Davis was sent to collect that summer in about June or July. She traveled to Cambridge, where the Beatles lived, and stayed with them and Jane for a few days as she had suddenly fallen ill. Maddie had begun swimming in and out of consciousness, and even the doctor that was called in did not know what happened to her. After about seven days, Maddie had died on July 5th. And something to note about this is that the doctor that was looking over Maddie had seen poisoning before, but he didn't catch it on Maddie because he was used to seeing arsenic poisoning, poisoning which I guess might show differently. Uh, but being that she didn't use arsenic because she steered clear of metallic-based uh, poisoning poisons, he just didn't catch it. So in order to um, cover this, um, Jane claimed that Maddie was a diabetic and the cake that she had eaten the day before she fell ill is what killed her. I just, it's again, it's just insane to me that she's just continuing to get away with this for, for this long. Jane had moved on from the Beetle household and went to the Davis house to now take care of Alden Davis, the elderly man who she had been renting the cottage from. As she was living there, she had started a small fire with some papers in a closet. Someone caught it and put it out. A few days later, Jane set the whole pantry on fire and then went for a walk. Someone had noticed the smoke coming from the house and called for help, extinguishing the fire. To explain this away, Jane said that she had seen a strange man lurking around the property, so he must be the one trying to set the house on fire. I'm not really sure why she was trying to set the house on fire, if it was, like, just to kill a family, just to kill them. If she had, like, a, if she was cracking further. Or if it was to take attention off of her for their future deaths. I have no idea. I just, I, I got nothing either. I mean, she's, I, it's almost like she's getting, like, too confident. And she's just that, starting that's to That's a do... lot of it. She's getting way too confident. Yeah. I mean, she started out confident. July 26th. Alden and Maddie had two adult daughters. These daughters, I saw two names for each. There was either Genevieve or Geraldine. And Minnie or Mary. I'm just going to go with Genevieve and Minnie because those are the ones I saw most frequently. Genevieve had been staying with her father since her mother died. Jane decided that Genevieve needed to go. So she gave her the poisoned water, killing her. It's like she just kept like this water bottle of like strychnine right? on hand. Like, hey, you thirsty? Like how some people have like a little take Mio. A big, take a big glug. You know, hers just had mm -hmm. strychnine in it. You know, and she was like, whoops. Yeah. After her death, she Jane claimed that Genevieve was suffering from the loss of her mother, so she killed herself. A few weeks later, Alden passed on August 8th of a broken heart per Jane. She was just making reasonings off the top of her head. This next part alludes to a sexual assault. I would skip ahead 30 seconds to a minute. The final family member, Minnie, was at the house as well perhaps trying to sort out her family's affairs since they had all passed. Jane had given her the poisoned water on August 12th or 13th, and as Minnie was suffocating and dying, Jane took Minnie's 10-year-old son to a bedroom, and nothing else is mentioned after that. So it's not really known if he was assaulted. There's no other details about that. Like, I don't really need other details about that. Yeah. It's still odd. Yeah. Jane had annihilated an entire family in the span of a month without anybody suspecting her. Yeah. Wow. Until Minnie's father-in-law and husband became suspicious of her death. They were like, wow, like this whole family just died after this woman popped up out of nowhere. August 26. Jane had ventured back to Lowell to try and win Oramel and become his wife. He showed zero interest. He was like, I don't... I, Bitch, I don't like you. Good. Good for Oramel. Three days later, she had begun poisoning the housekeeper, Edna Bannister, who I've also seen may be um, Oramel's sister. She was a 77-year-old woman. 
And after she had died, Jane took this as a chance to show Ormel how useful she could be when it came to housekeeping. Like, look, I know how to clean and cook things. You should keep me around and marry me. Again, he he didn't care. He's like, I don't want you as my wife. I don't want you as my housekeeper. I don't even know why you're here. I didn't invite you. When these attempts to win his heart did not work, she then began, slowly began poisoning him, just enough to make him slightly sick so that she could take care of him. She nursed him back to health, thinking, you know what? If he doesn't care about my cooking and cleaning, he has to care that I saved his life. But still, he was like, okay, cool, thanks for taking care of me. I still don't want you. Good for him. Good for Ormel. King Gold shit. star Ormel. <laughs> With nothing else to try, she went on to overdose herself on morphine, winning herself a hospital stay on September 29th. Her intent may have been to actually end her life, or it could have just been a stunt to get his attention. I'm not really I've, sure which one. I've got, I've got a thought on that. I... I'm leaning towards stunt to get his attention because ain't no way you have killed that many people and somehow managed to mess up killing yourself. Like, I'm suspicious of that. Well, either way, whatever her reason was, once she was out of the hospital, Oramel booted her weird ass out of his house. Good. He was like, woman, I have had enough. Stop trying to poison me. He is like the Stop cleaning my house. only reasonable person in this whole story. You know, just, he's <laughs> like, the only person like, that's like, I don't like bad you. Vibes. Yes. While all of this was going on, back on August 31st, Captain Gibbs, who is Minnie's father-in-law, had summoned toxicologist Leonard Wood to exhume and examine Minnie's body. Leonard declared that Minnie was poisoned, which led to Detective John S. Patterson to be assigned to follow Jane. At the end of her stay with Ormel, Jane decided to go stay with friend Sarah Nichols in Amherst, New Hampshire with her brother. She was only there a couple weeks until Detective Patterson found her and arrested her for the murder of Minnie Gibbs on October 29, 1901. It is unknown if she planned on killing Sarah and her brother that she lived with, but she did prefer to kill those she was close to, so it's a high possibility. As she awaited her arraignment and trial, she sat in the barn stable jailhouse, befriending the jailer's wife, trying to convince her of her innocence, to which the wife bought. She was like, this woman has to be innocent. She was finally arraigned on October 31st, and her trial went until November 8th. Jane pled not guilty. The state was trying to prove the poisoning by the arsenic that was found in Minnie's body, but this was kind of counter- proven because arsenic is also commonly found in embalming fluid so they're like was she did she put it there was it there after um i didn't know arsenic was was in embalming fluid i mean i don't know if it still is i don't know if it still is or not i mean i know it's a naturally occurring metal so i know it, it could show up places but huh yeah i guess that would make toxicology reports more difficult if they were embalmed first Captain Gibbs proposed to the court that maybe she used morphine and atropine, but they did not find any on Minnie's exhumation. I don't know if they, maybe they just weren't looking for it, if her body was too far gone to pick it up. I have no idea. I couldn't find anything to explain that. On November 8th, they were still trying to connect Jane to the victims. So the trial was extended to the 11th and then again to December 11th. On November 21st, Maddie and Alden were exhumed. They were found to have been poisoned as well, and they found traces of morphine and atropine in their bodies. With this new information, she was now charged with four counts of murder and again pled not guilty. 1902 at 45 years old. March 31st, she had a psych evaluation. During her evaluation, she admitted that she had irresistible sexual impulses to kill and she confessed to 11 murders. She also said that her life goal is, quote, to have killed more people, helpless people, than any other man or woman who ever lived, end quote. In this instance, specifically, don't chase your dreams. Actually, give up on them. Give up on them and find new dreams. If your dreams are to kill more people than anybody else, give up. So she also blamed her impulses on the fact that she was not married. Jane told the experts a story of when she was 16, she was betrothed to a Lowell office worker who had given her an engagement ring with a bird engraving on it. But he had left her and married someone else. Quote, if I had been a married woman, I probably would not have killed all of those people. I would have had my husband, my children, and my home to take up my mind. End quote. No. 
I don't think that's true. I, I think she made think that up. I think she's just throwing stuff at the wall and seeing what sticks, honestly, at this point. Like, just anything that she thinks maybe people could take pity on her and would lessen her sentence. She's just like, uh, throws dart. Unmarried, uh, throws dart. I I have a dream. Like, I don't... A terrible dream. If only okay. I had a man to reel me in, I wouldn't have murdered. Okay. <laughs> Oopsie. Okay. Like, I'm half expecting her next Oops. to be like, I'm a Scorpio. What do you expect? Like, that's, that's where I feel like this is <laughs> I'm headed. a Scorpio. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Leave us alone. Actually, we have our reasons. This is probably this is probably like fire sign behavior. Like you know, I, I'm getting I'm getting like Leo or Aries vibes. If I'm being, she was honest. actually an Aries. Really nice. She was an Aries. Yeah. So with this confession, a new trial began. This one, with all this new information, took less than eight hours, and the jury had deliberated for only about twenty minutes before finding her not guilty by reason of insanity. Because she she was insane. Like she is not a sane person. Jane was happy about this as she thought she had outsmarted the experts because she claimed to pretend to come off as insane in order to potentially have a lesser sentence for being found insane by telling them that she found pleasure in killing and she had no remorse for what she had done. But, like, that's not true. So she really did tell them these things that she really felt. And she's like, if I just tell them these things, they're going to think I'm crazy. And then I'm, I'm, I'm going to be, you know, free. And they were like, this bitch is really crazy. And she thinks, we, she thinks we're not going to find her crazy. <sighs> Mission failed successfully. <laughs> In her mind, she was going to be hospitalized for a few months until she could convince the hospital that she was better. And then she would be a free woman. But what she did not bank on was the fact that she told her lawyer, James Stewart Murphy, that she had committed over 31 murders, and the confession was typed up by William Randolph Hearst for the New York Times, where she admitted that she wanted to be found insane. Oopsie poopsie. Like, she, <laughs> like, she wanted, she's like, I'm really not insane, but I did kill 31 people. Jane was sent to Taunton State Hospital, where she spent the next 40 years slowly deteriorating over time, like mentally. At one point, she did tell a nurse that taking ca- that was taking care of her, quote, get some morphine, dearie, and we will go out on the, on the ward. You and I will have a lot of fun seeing them die, end quote. So she was a nutcase. Oh, boy. It was crazy. Jane died at 81 years old on August 17th, 1938. Wow, and she lived a very long life. Jane Tappan, right? It's always the crazy assholes that live forever. Aren't cats the same way? Like, you have a really mean cat. Yeah. You know it's going to live to be, like, 26. What a story that was. And it's nuts to me because the more we cover serial killers, the less and less it's, like, I feel like this narrative that we're given – you know, when you and me first probably got into true crime and we were like younger and cold case files was was the thing or whatever it was. Um, and it was always like, oh, they were so charming and intelligent and able to elude the police. And and truly, yeah, it's just a massive wasn't. string of like people not doing their jobs. <laughs> like, <laughs> this one wasn't smart. This one wasn't sneaky. She wasn't even nice. No. People didn't like her. She was like an asshole that was like put in charge of like taking care of people. And she would pit people against each other, and yet she lived 81 and got away with murder. Like, she could have, like, she claimed to kill at least 31, but she could have killed upwards to at least 100. Damn. Does that put yeah. her, does, would she confess the 31, if she, but there was obviously more. If she killed 100, would that put her above Urtzabit Batory? Urtzabit Batory, she is suspected of killing around 600. Okay, no, never mind. Um yeah. She's yeah. going to hold that title hopefully forever because I hopefully nobody else tries to beat it. Really fucking hope nobody out there makes the gold to beat her body count. That's horrifying. <laughs> I'm sorry for everybody who's now afraid of nurses. If you're in nursing school, please be a nice nurse. And if you listen to our last episode with the uh, go to the show notes. I put it in the show notes, the humor quiz because I need to know what everybody's humor was. Yes, yes. We determined that you were like a even split of all four of them, which was kind of frightening. Yes. And I was sanguine. I think I was sanguine. 
Yeah, I wasn't even split between all four. And it was, <laughs> you were the it was humor like, you know, You're melancholic. I was like, I'm bipolar. This makes sense. I'm just everything. You were this. You were. Fire, earth, water, air. That's you. You're the, like, you're the four humors avatar. Yay! I'm just full of goo! I hate my life. Right. That was wicked that, i don't even know that was absolutely i'm running wicked. out of adjectives it was it was absolutely <laughs> wicked